Knoxville. I've got a couple announcements that I'm going to share with you before we have our greeting time. The flowers on the altar today are in honor of Lillian Werwell's 90th birthday. They're a gift from her family. Happy birthday, Lillian. And if I'm not mistaken, today is your birthday, correct? Yep, happy birthday. Uh, the rose on the altar is in honor of Donald and Carolyn Henschen, who will celebrate 58 years of marriage on January 3rd. Happy anniversary to them. Children's Sunday School and Confirmation classes resume today, so they'll be taking place after the service this morning. The congregational meeting to accept nominations for officers of the consistory and congregation will be held next Sunday, January 8th, 2023, following the 9 a.m. service. The list of those nominated for office and outgoing officers who have completed their terms is on the back of the bulletin. Nominations from the floor will also be accepted. At this time, I want to invite you to take a moment and greet your neighbor as we begin our service this morning. Well, good morning, and once again, we welcome you to worship here at First Church in New Knoxville. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or watching online, we're grateful that you're able to join us this morning. During our greeting time a moment ago, I was just informed that we have another birthday out here in the congregation. Uh, John Hoagie, I believe, is 91st birthday today. Is that correct? Happy birthday, John. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, if you're able, I invite you to join with me in the call to worship this morning. I invite you to stand. The call to worship comes from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. I invite you to remain standing for our praise songs this morning. It begins with Shout to the Lord. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was with God, 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has ever been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. As we start this new year, let him be the light that shines our way. Because darkness cannot overcome it, we have so much to rejoice in. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy. With all creation I see 
Lord. And as we go to the Lord in prayer today, I just want to take a moment and share a, a praise report with you. I was, Allie and the kids and I were coming home from Walpock yesterday and got a phone call. And it's an individual who just wanted to reach out and share with me about how God had answered a prayer of his. Um, and it was just really, I mean, you could tell just the excitement in his voice. He was just, just so thrilled that God had answered one of his prayers. And he just, his response to me is, I just needed to tell somebody. So I called you. And I thought that was a great thing. And, and it was just a reminder for us that God answers prayers. And, and when we pray to God, as we do during our services, as we do in our own individual lives, you know, we pray to a God who hears and answers our prayers. And we don't want to forget that. It's not just something to go through the motions. It's not something to just um, to do out of a sense of duty. But we do it because we truly believe that God hears and answers our prayers. And so let's go to him now and lift up our prayers and concerns to him. Father God, we thank you for this, this reminder uh, that you are a God who hears and answers our prayers, that you are holy and righteous and just, and that you are also a God who, who cares deeply about your creation and your people. And so we thank you, Lord, that as we come before you now, we know that you hear us. Lord Jesus, we know that you are alive and seated at the right hand of your Father, and you are always interceding for us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present in our lives and that we don't have to go somewhere special or say certain words for you to hear us, but that you are present within every Christian to know and to love and to serve and, and that you, Lord, are present with us when we pray. So we can pray here in the sanctuary. For those that are listening on the radio or watching online, Wherever they may be, Lord, you are present there as well. And they, and they too can lift up their prayers and know that they are being heard. And so we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you at the beginning of a new year for your faithfulness in the past. And we, we trust and believe that you will continue to be faithful in the coming year. And so I pray for our church and our community. I pray for the individuals and the families represented in this room and, and listening online and, and on the radio. And just pray, Lord, for your continued faithfulness and provision in the year to come. We ask, Lord, that, that you would enable us and equip us to be people who, who love you and serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we love our neighbor as ourself. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would equip us and empower us to, to be bold and to, to serve you in this coming year. Lord, help us to be a light in a dark place. Help us to be people that stand firmly for the truth and boldly proclaim your word in a world that desperately needs to hear it. And so, Lord, we, in, in that boldness and in that trust, we come to you now and lift up our prayers and concerns to you. Uh, we ask that you would work in the, in the lives of the names and the families that are represented in our prayers and concerns list. And we also ask, Lord, that you would be with um, those that maybe carry in burdens today that are not listed there. We just ask that you would work according to your will in every situation, that you bring about healing where it's needed, that you would provide where there is a lack, and that, Lord, you would bring reconciliation to those who are hurting. And, Lord, we pray for those in authority over us as well, as your word calls us to do. And so this day we pray for our national leaders. We pray for our president, our the Congress and the Supreme Court and other elected and appointed officials. We ask that they would serve with integrity and wisdom beyond their means and that they'd have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be filled. 
We pray these things, all of these things, in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and I want to invite forward Pastor Tori and the kids for children's chat. How's it going? Good. So did you guys get to stay up and watch the ball drop last night? No? It's okay. I didn't either. I didn't make it past 10 o'clock, so... (laughs) So, uh, how was Christmas? Good. Did everyone have a good Christmas? Good. Are you guys excited to go back to school this week? Yeah. No, yes. Oh, (laughs) well, ready or not, it's coming. So, all right. So, it's a new year, right? That's what we celebrated yesterday at midnight and today, right? It's a brand new year, so that's really exciting. And with a brand new year, a lot of people get new calendars, So I have my calendar with me, and I already have a couple things on my calendar just because I like to plan ahead, Um, but my calendar has lots of dates, but it's still kind of blank, isn't it? There's still, there's a couple blank spots that still need filled in, Um, and if you flip it even further, it's even more blank, right? Nothing on my calendar. So do you think I know what's going to happen in February? No, I don't know what's going to happen in February. What about in June? Probably not. Who does know those things? Jesus. Yeah, God knows those things. He absolutely does. You know, a lot of people use calendars, especially at the new year, to make plans, right? We put birthdays, we put special holidays, exciting things like vacation Bible school. I do know when that is, first week of June, so put it on your calendars. Special things, right? But do those things always happen? No, sometimes they don't go as planned, right? Who knows the future? Yeah, God knows the future. He knows everything that's going to happen in this year. That's kind of hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? That God knows what's going to happen today. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, even December 31st of, of this year. He knows what's going to happen. And that's really comforting for us, isn't it? That we don't always know what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. And he knows, and he's the one that holds the future and holds us in his hands. So we don't have to worry about what's going to happen, right? Proverbs 16:9 says, In their hearts, man plans their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So God knows what's going to happen, and we can trust him because he is a good father, and he has great plans for us, especially this year, right? But the most important thing that we can always plan on doing every single day is to spend time with God. How do we spend time with God? Pray, pray, read the Bible, yep. What else? Can you come to church? Yep. Go to Sunday school. Go to vacation Bible school when that rolls around. Absolutely. There's so many things that we can do to spend time with God. And so that's what I want to challenge you guys this year to do, is to plan every single day to spend just a little bit of time with God, whether it's praying, whether it's reading a verse of scripture, any of those things, but just plan on spending time with God. All right. All right. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for all the excitement that a new year brings. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen this year, but we know that you do and that you hold us in your hands and the plans for this year. God, I pray that you would walk with us every single day and that you would help us to spend time with you each day. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks, Pastor Tori, for that great children's chat. I always have to say, I love the, I, I know I've said this before, but all the children's chat leaders do such a good job. Sometimes I feel like I could just leave the sermon at that um, when, the chil- when they're done with children's chat. Thanks for that message today, Tori. Uh, our offering this morning goes to support the general operating fund. Uh, if you're able to give and willing to give this morning, uh, that is where the offering will go towards. So I want to invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering. Our special music today is from Barb Howe on the organ.
please remain standing for the reading of the scripture. Today's passage is spoken by Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. The reading is from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. Thank you, Sharon. Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to read and study your word together now. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today is January 1st, and I probably should have started the service with this, but Happy New Year, right? (laughs) Welcome. Glad you guys are all able to join us. And um, can we all just agree that that kick happened in 2022 and just put that behind us last night? Is that possible? Um, But... Glad you guys are here this morning, and, and today we are in beginning a challenge as a church to read through the Bible in a year. I've mentioned that several times the last couple months. Um, if you haven't gotten a Bible reading plan, I know there was one in the newsletter that went on our website, but we really want to encourage you to read through the Bible this year together with us as a church. You know, we value God's Word. We think it's obviously very important, uh, and, and so we thought, what better way to um, to acknowledge that and to honor that than to commit as a church family to read through the Bible over the course of the next year. So beginning today and, and going forward, our sermons are going to be drawn from the readings that week. Well, I shouldn't say today is a little bit of a kind of a preface because today would be the first day we begin the reading plan. But going forward, our Sunday sermons are all going to focus on passages that we read throughout the week. So if you're following along in the reading plan, you'll read through uh, being in Genesis and Matthew this week. Um, and so the, the sermons will be drawn from something that you read during the week. And so I, again, want to encourage you to do that. Um, and we'll be talking more about that as we go forward. But today we're going to be starting with this passage that you heard Sharon read from Matthew chapter five, because I think it really kind of sets the stage for us going forward. About a year ago, uh, we were over in the Christian bookstore in New Bremen and Cornerstone and, and just kind of looking through the books. I like to do that every once in a while, just see what's there and what's new. And, and there was a book that, that kind of surprised me. It was called The Family Devotional Bible. And the reason why it surprised me is because the author is Sarah Wells, someone that Allie and I know from Ashland. We had known her for several years. Um, her and her husband were part of a small group that we were a part of while we lived there and became very good friends. We've had dinner at their house. We sat in their backyard watching the Ashland Balloon Fest and, and just gotten to know them very well over the couple of years. And I know she was an author, and, um, but it just kind of struck me here in you know, New Bremen seeing a copy of her book on the bookshelf there. 
And, you know, as we have a copy of it at home now, and, and I believe there's even a volume two out now, but I'm not here to advertise for her, I suppose. But, um, but, but having that book, it gave me a new perspective reading that book because I knew the person who wrote it, right? It wasn't just some random person or random book I pulled off the shelf. It was, it was written by someone that I had spent time with, that I had known and had become friends with over the years. And, and the reason I bring that up today is because we are, again, beginning our year-long challenge of reading the Bible, and that can be intimidating, right? And some of you may have likely tried a Bible in a year challenge before, and it's a good chance you gave up somewhere around Leviticus or Numbers and never looked back. You see, there's different ways that we can view the Bible, right? There's different ways that we can understand this text that God has given us. Some people view the Bible as simply a legend, like other ancient religious texts, akin to Greek or Roman mythology. Some view the Bible as simply man-made texts, that they contain some accurate history and wisdom, but ultimately are a product of their times. People have evolved since then, and we should view the Bible with skepticism. There are some people who understand the Bible that way. But what I want to encourage you to think of is that the Bible are divinely inspired writings. They're, they're the product of the Holy Spirit working through those human authors to write exactly what God intended to produce. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, again, that's 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, he says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Again, I'll say that, completely reliable. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter makes it very clear in that passage, and there's other Scriptures that we could point to that would back that up, that this Bible that we have is not just a collection of random writings, but it's divinely inspired, right, given to us through, those, through the Holy Spirit, through the work of those human authors. But it's exactly what God intended for us to have. And so if God, through the Holy Spirit, right, is the primary author of the Bible, then we can know and have a personal relationship with the person who wrote it. You see where I'm going with this? We can, the, the Bible is not just some strange text that we can, we, that is difficult to understand, although it can be difficult to understand at times. We have inside access as Christians to the author, right? If, if the Bible was inspired by God, which it was, and we can know God through a relationship with Christ and his Holy Spirit, then we can have that connection to him. The Holy Spirit can help us understand the Bible better. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus told, told his disciples that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. See what the role of the Holy Spirit is there in that case? To help to teach us, to help us understand and to remember what Jesus taught us. And his primary way of doing that is through the study of God's word. And so it's important to know what the author says about his work, right? We, we have this Bible and we're committing to read through it over the next year and we have access to the author through his Holy Spirit. And so for us to have a better understanding and really gain something out of this in the year to come, 
it's important that we know what the author says about his work. And that brings us to today's text in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. In this passage, Jesus gives us some insight in how to understand the meaning and purpose of Scripture. And particularly, he's referring to the Old Testament here. And so let's look at Matthew 5, 17 through 20. See what Jesus says about Scripture and what that means for us. And the first thing that we notice in this passage, what Jesus makes very clear, is that the Bible is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, everything that we read in Scripture points to Jesus, and he is the fulfillment of all those things. Jesus says here that God's word is eternal, right? He didn't come to abolish or change the law. He came to fulfill it. And again, that's not a new idea here, that God's word is eternal. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. See, heaven and earth, in other words, that's, that's another way of Jesus saying all of creation, right? All of creation is only temporary, but God's word will last forever. He says not, how does the NIV translate it here? He says, the, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear. What Jesus actually said, he says, not one iota. Have you guys heard that term before? Right, not one iota. Iota is actually a Greek letter. It's, it's akin to a lowercase i, but without the dot. And it was the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. And so what Jesus was saying is not even the smallest letter is going to disappear from the law. Right? Not even the smallest stroke of a pen is going to be changed. There's some people who thought Jesus was going to come and just do away with things. Right? Do away with the Old Testament. Do away with the law and the prophets. But Jesus says the exact opposite. Not only are things going to stay exactly the same right he's not changing or abolishing anything but he has come to fulfill it to bring it to its final and complete purpose this is also a reminder that the bible is the inspired inerrant and authoritative word of god and god is consistent right in his word and he's not going to contradict himself and he does not change and so if jesus came to fulfill the law we have to wonder what it was the purpose of the law to begin with And how did he fulfill it? Well, first, the purpose of the law, among other things, but what I want to focus on today, is to reveal our sin to us. One of the main reasons that God gave us his word is so that we can know our own sin and and, in doing so, know our need for a savior. The law makes it clear that everyone has fallen short of God's holy standard. In Romans 3, 19 through 20, Paul says exactly that. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Right? The Bible shows us very clearly what is required in the law, what is required to have an innocent conscience before God. But the Bible is also very clear that every person fails to live up to it. And so if the Bible's, if, excuse me, if the law and the prophets are given to help us understand our sin and our need for a Savior, then, then what does it mean that Christ has then fulfilled the purpose of the law and the prophets? Well, there's kind of three senses that that is true. In the first sense, we see that Christ brings a deeper meaning to the law or reveals the true sense of the law that it's not about external obedience to a certain standard of rules but it's about internal transformation of the heart 
And that's what he goes on to explain in the following verses, which I, I won't read for you, but I encourage you to check out on your own. And beginning in Matthew 5, verse 21, he begins to talk about the law. And in particular, he pulls out some pretty well-known commandments, right, from Moses and explains how, how it's really about internal state of the heart more than external obedience. In fact, he says things like that it's not enough just to avoid murdering people, but we need to stop hating people in our hearts too. That it's not enough just to avoid committing adultery, but we need to stop lusting after others as well. You see, he's taking what was an external commandment, an external uh, law to follow, and made it internal, about the, about the state of one's heart. And in, in a sense, he's kind of elevating the law, isn't he? He's not doing away with anything. He, in fact, he's making it even more difficult to follow by making it about an internal state of the heart. And so Jesus, in, doing, in his life, in his, in his teaching, in his miracles, and of course in his death and his resurrection, he brings, uh, reveals a deeper meaning to, to God's word. And that goes for the Old Testament as well. The Old Testament is best understood in light of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. Everything makes more sense in light of Christ's life. The second way that Christ fulfilled the law is through his righteous, he, by fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. In other words, Jesus alone was perfectly obedient and always did what the law required. He succeeded in all the ways that we have failed in our own lives. And the author of Hebrews says that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Again, that's Hebrews 4, 15. He says, we do not have a high priest. He's speaking of Jesus here. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way we are, but he did not sin. And that is probably no better illustrated than in the wilderness temptations described in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. Right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And while he's out there, he is tempted by the enemy. And yet Jesus three times re resisted that temptation. Right? He responded by quoting God's word and, and standing firmly in that truth. What he was doing there was that wilderness temptation... It was, it was Jesus I don't know, recreating the fall, right? When, when Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, right, they failed in that temptation, right? But Jesus is out in the wilderness and he does not fail that temptation. He does not give in to it. Jesus succeeded in all the ways that we failed. And the third, the, la the third way that Christ fulfills the law is by fulfilling the punishment for sin in his death. In his death, Jesus took the punishment for all sin upon himself. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, when, when God tells Adam to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, when you eat of it, you will die. You see, death is the consequence it is the punishment for sin. Physical death, but also spiritual death. Complete and total separation from God. And so in his death on the cross, he took that punishment upon himself. The one person who perfectly fulfilled the law in his obedience then took on the punishment for disobedience upon himself. And he did that for you and for me. 
And in his resurrection, he proves that the payment was accepted and gives eternal life to all who believe. He died on the cross as, as punishment and payment for our sins. And in his resurrection, it proves that his, that payment has been accepted and that he, is now, he, is, he has been raised to eternal life. And we too can also receive eternal life when we believe in him. And so the Bible is fulfilled in Christ. Jesus says he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so the second thing is important. It's kind of a corollary to the first one. If, if, if the Bible is fulfilled in Christ, in his life and his death and his resurrection, then the Bible also reveals Christ to us. In other words, all of Scripture points to Jesus. I quoted this verse a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it back up again. John 5, 39 through 40. This is Jesus speaking to the teachers of the law. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, Jesus is very clearly saying that he is the main character of all of scripture. Too many of us, when we are doing our devotions or we're trying to follow a reading plan, we read the Bible and think that it's all about us, right? We read a passage and we think, what does this, what does this mean to me? Or what does this mean for me? Now, those are good questions to ask, but those aren't the first questions that we should ask. First and foremost, when we read a passage, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, we should be asking, what is this passage teaching us about Christ? We need to make sure we're reading the Bible from a Christ-centered perspective because it all points to him. I want to share something with you. I did a little experiment this week because I thought, all right, how, if, you know, the, it's probably obvious for the New Testament, right? The New Testament obviously points to Christ that, you know, it's, it's the gospels are all about his life, his death and his resurrection. The letters are all explaining the significance of those things. But what about the Old Testament, right? What about the Old Testament books? How do they point to Christ? And so I, I kind of did my best here to, to kind of sum up how we can see Christ in the books of the Old Testament. And I know I'm going to be reading these fairly quickly and, and, um, and I'd, I'd be glad to share this with you if you're interested in reading it further, but I want to quickly read down this list so you can get an idea of how each book of the Old Testament points to Jesus. In Genesis, Jesus is the promised descendant of Abraham who will be a blessing to all nations. In Exodus, Jesus is the Red Sea that is, that is passed through to experience God's salvation. Leviticus, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. In Numbers, he is the presence of God in the wilderness symbolized by the tabernacle and the pillars of cloud and fire. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the one who fulfills the blessing and the curses of the law. In Joshua, he is the one who leads us into the promised land. In Judges, he's the leader that we need to rescue us from our sin. In Ruth, he is our kinsman and redeemer. In Samuel, he is the champion who defeats the giant. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the king who will rule with righteousness and justice forever. In Esther, he's the one who always is always working behind the scenes. In Job, he is the living redeemer. In Psalms, he is the object of our prayers and praise. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he brings meaning to an otherwise meaningless life. In the Song of Songs, it's his love that is stronger than the grave. In Isaiah, he is of the new covenant. In Lamentations, he is our reason to hope in the midst of despair. In Ezekiel, he is the one who breathes life into our dry, lifeless bones. In Daniel, he is the one like a son of man coming on the clouds with the ancient of days. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband who pursues his unfaithful wife. In Joel, he is the one who will restore what the locusts have taken. 
In Amos, he's the descendant of David and Israel's hope. In Jonah, he is the one who shows mercy to a repentant people and runaway prophets. In Micah, he is the ruler born in Bethlehem, whose origins are from ancient times. And in the rest of the minor prophets, Jesus is the sovereign Lord who judges all nations and forgives all those who repent and return to him. We sometimes think that the New Testament is where we read about Jesus, but all of Scripture, including the Old Testament, point to him. And so as we read Scripture, we, we, need, to, we need to look for Christ, and we need to understand that in Jesus, we, we perfectly see the character of God represented. In Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom, through whom he also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power and word. After he provided purification from sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So what does Hebrews teach us? And again, backed up by other passages in Scripture, that if we want to know what God is like, if we want to know what the Father is like, we have to look to Jesus. We have to know him and in, in, in his character, in his life, in his actions, in his attitudes, we see the perfect character of God represented for us. And so if we want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. And if we want to know what Jesus is like, we need to know his word. Because in his word and through his word that we come to know Christ. Reading your Bible, again, let me just reiterate this for you that have tried these Bible reading plans before and, and not made it your way through. These are meant to be, a, reading our Bible should be a joy, not a burden. And that's sometimes hard to remember, right? And so I want to I re, reiterate that for you guys today, that as we're working through this Bible reading plan together as a church, it's meant to be a joy, not another burden to add on to your already busy lives or another thing to add to your to-do list. And there's ways to help us understand that, right? Is one of the ways is by, as we're reading, we're looking to see where Christ is in the passage. You know, especially as you're, as you're working through the Old Testament, one question you can ask yourself is, how is this pointing me to Jesus? How can I understand him better in light of what I just read? But there's some practical things that you can do as well. For example, if you fall behind, which you probably will fall behind at one point, it's okay, right? There's, there's ways that you can do you can You can pick up where you left off and try to catch up, or it's okay to skip ahead to, the, to the today's date and just start from there, start fresh, right? Don't make this a burden that becomes a distraction in your walk with the Lord. There should be joy in it. And so allow yourself a little bit of slack, right? Allow yourself the freedom to catch up or to skip ahead if that's what you need to do to get back on track. Another thing that you can do is, is simply to celebrate accomplishments, when you finish a book in the Bible or, or maybe you read something that you've never read before, you know, mark that down. Tell somebody, tell your family about what you had just read and, and celebrate those accomplishments, right? Find ways to, to make it exciting and to find the joy in reading God's word. So we've seen here so far today, the Bible is fulfilled in Christ. The Bible reveals Christ. And the last thing I want to share with you today is we need to remember that the Bible then demands a response to Christ. 
And there's many ways that we can respond to the Bible. And there's two, I believe, that I want to highlight for you today. The first response that we need as we are approaching Scripture and approaching Christ in Scripture is that we need to accept the righteousness of Christ. This passage in, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20 ends with this comment about the, he says in verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a pretty profound statement in its original context. Jesus is saying that their righteousness needs to be greater than that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes were often seen as the superheroes of their faith. We sometimes look back on them as the bad guys in the story, the ones that Jesus is, is always having this confrontation with. But in their day, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were the superheroes of the faith that people looked up to. The average person would look up to them for their knowledge of the law and their obedience to it. In fact, Pharisees were so careful to obey the law that they created additional rules to prevent themselves from even coming close to breaking the law. Think about it like a fence around a cliff. They didn't want to even want to come close to the cliff, so they built a fence 10 feet in to avoid even coming close to the danger. That's what those extra rules were all about. And so to Jesus' audience, it would have been unthinkable for someone to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. It just didn't happen. It'd be like telling someone they had to beat LeBron James in his prime in one-on-one or to beat a young Tiger Woods in golf. It just didn't happen. So how can someone have righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees? The answer is that we need a righteousness from outside of ourselves. And I believe that's what Jesus is trying to point us to. We cannot achieve it on our own, so we must depend on someone else to achieve it for us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Paul in Philippians 3 uh, hits on this point exactly. He talks about all his accomplishments, right? All of the reason he had confidence to put hope in the flesh. He had followed all the rules. He himself had been living as a Pharisee. And according to righteousness based on the law, he says that he was faultless. But then he says this, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, what Paul finally came to realize for himself and what we need to realize for ourselves is that our own righteousness is never going to be enough to surpass the Pharisees. It's never going to be enough to enter the kingdom of heaven on our own merit. Therefore, we need to look to someone who has accomplished that, who has fulfilled the law and the prophets and receive the righteousness that he offers to us. So our first response is to accept the righteousness of Christ. Second response is that we must then obey the word out of our love for Jesus. Jesus does remind here the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are going to be those who practice what he teaches and, and teaches others to do the same. He's kind of reiterating the, the great commandment that he gives at the, 
in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, when he says, go into all nations, make disciples, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so obedience is the expected outcome. As we read through the Bible reading plan, as we read scripture on our own, we don't just read for information. We're to read for transformation, right? This word should change our lives. Revealed in Jesus does not negate the call to obedience and holiness. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are saved. And Jesus then calls us into obedience in response to that. Tim Keller once said, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm loved. But Christianity says, I am loved, therefore I obey. And that's exactly what we see in the words of Christ. We obey because of our love for him. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. In 1 John 2, 3 through 5, John says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. And so we must respond to what we read. Maybe it's a change of attitude or change of habit. But the bottom line is that we cannot go away unchanged. As we read God's word, whether it's a part of this reading plan or just something we're doing on our own, we must allow we must, first of all, experience and know the grace of Christ and his love for us. And out of that love, out of that grace, allow it to transform us from the inside out so that we may know and obey him in his word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. And as we begin this, this year-long commitment to, to be in your word as a church family, I pray that you would equip us and empower us to do just that, to know and hear and respond to your word out of obedience to Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship this morning, I invite you to stand with us and sing our final praise song, King of Kings.
you to go this morning knowing that Christ has fulfilled the law and the prophets for you and for me in his obedience and in his death. Go in the knowledge that he has shared his grace and his love and his mercy with you and he invites you into a life of obedience to him in response to that. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.